0: I
1: know how it goes. Three, two, one.
0: Let's, let's go! go! <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at
1: Stan with a little extra frill on it today. Uh, I'm your host, PBE Podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer. Joined co-host, Kim Research Institute, Stan, the man Keith, and our guest, Dylan Morton, classic uh, PBE uh, a fan and and uh and guest we've had you now on uh, on the show a few times even though we didn't produce one of those times uh but this one was really cool man i really enjoyed this show it goes from your thesis of kind of zircon's place in petroleum geology and how it's used to kind of understand maybe the system and uh and then we tied it into it's not just petroleum geology zircons in general and all of geology the concepts of that that led into you know, ideas about you know, deep Earth time <laughs> and atmosphere, and how this all this whole thing's come together, man. Uh, I really enjoyed it. But first, I've been dying to ask, what's going on in Mexico? How was it? What were you doing down there?
0: Well, uh, you know, just just relaxing after finishing the the master's thesis. So, just a little vacay after the two years of working on the thesis and. Not much was going on, a lot of relaxing, a lot, a lot of tequila. So it was fun.
1: Nice. A lot of beach time. What part of Mexico did you yeah. go?
0: Where, where in Mexico? We, so it was a cruise and, uh, we stopped in our first port was Costa Maya. And then we mm-hmm. went to Cozumel for the second port. Oh, so it was no, no. five day cruise, uh, two port days. So nice. Costa Maya and Cozumel, but I really enjoyed both actually. Costa Maya is pretty new, I think. It's it's not as big as Cozumel, but I I really liked it a lot. There wasn't as many uh, wasn't as many shops and, and you know as many hagglers, hagglers, whatever you want to say. <laughs> but it yeah. was fun. It was all fun. Okay, is that Gulf of Mexico cruise? Yeah, so we we took off from Galveston. Okay,
1: okay. right on. Which uh, which cruise liner did you use? We went with uh Royal Caribbean. Ooh, nice man. That's the, uh, that's kind of the, uh, how the other half live huh? Royal Caribbean, man. That's nice. <laughs> What's good about that one. I think, or at least what I was told, I haven't been on one. I've been on a carnival cruise and that's not cool. If you want to try to go with like, you know, if you're adults, right. You're old enough to drink. Yeah. You don't want to mess with a bunch of kids running around and, and all that mess and carnival is a little bit more of like kid friendly and, uh, So I I like how you did that Royal Caribbean scale me one to 10 on a cruise. Was that your first one? Your 10th one?
0: It was, it was my very first one. Uh, my girlfriend, Anch, I think, I don't know if this is our third one. I think she's been on a few, she's been on a few for sure, but that was our main reason for going with, with Royal Caribbean because we had heard the same thing about, you know, carnival being more, uh, more kid friendly. So we went with Royal Caribbean and it was a great time. There was a bunch of people our age, you know, older people as well. Not, not too many kids at all, but it was fun.
1: Nice. I heard uh, retirement programs for old people are starting to come up, They're living on cruise ships now. They don't even have houses and shit. It's, they get fed. They just cruise around on the ships all year. God. And it's cheaper than, uh, well, they can afford it, right? But yeah, (laughs) all right. So, and then obviously the elephant in the room, you know, cruise lines were one of the big like, okay, that's probably the last place I want to go while COVID breaks out. You know what I mean? And this all sorts itself out. Yeah, you're dead. What was, what was your experience there with, uh, with their protocols or, you know, how did they handle that whole situation?
0: So, uh, before you could even get on the boat, you you had to be vaccinated of course and then you had to have a uh had to be vaccinated and you had to have a negative covid test uh within two days you had to have taken it within two days before boarding the ship so negative covid test and uh fully vaccinated while you're while we were on the ship uh no one had to wear masks all of the workers the crew members they all wore masks uh most of the time but none of the guests had to wear masks uh the protocol, I think in the protocol, it was still, you know, that guests were still supposed to wear masks, but no one did. I I, I never really had a mask on the entire time, but it, I, I mean, I feel like for the most part, uh, COVID was over on the ship, but like I said, all the crew members wore masks. So. Right.
1: They didn't really trust the rules. They were like, I don't know, you know. <laughs>
0: well, did you have any COVID yeah. breakouts?
1: No, no, nothing. Not
0: to my knowledge. Not a- <laughs> Yeah, they wouldn't have
2: been advertising <laughs> it. There yeah, was yeah, a bunch exactly. of Oh yeah, everybody got COVID.
0: <laughs> yeah, COVID break out on deck 2. <laughs> <laughs> None <laughs> of that
2: <laughs> seal it off.
1: Yeah, we're we're quarantining them all in the gym. Uh Yeah. Gosh, dang it, man. Yeah, cruises are fun, man. They're they're a good time. I I yeah, no more than 5 days. I like the 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 time you spent there. Uh that sounds really cool man that sounds like you've uh, you and you 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 celebrated the win and that's important man that's really really important to celebrate the wins when you can because you know the reality is most of the career and most our our lives is not that you know we're we're grinding and we're we're building the ladder and and you know trying not to turn into a ball that just you know rolls through life <laughs> you're trying to build that yeah. ladder man and that takes a lot of effort and a lot of time and then when you get that new, new step, you got to celebrate those things, man. And you did one of the concepts that yeah. was, that's pretty cool. That's dropped out. You know, Skips is doing a PhD in Australia. He's going to take off and do a PhD at James Cook University in Australia. Okay. Uh, he wants to do a segment, a special segment, kind of a blog thing, uh, because he's going to be in Australia doing this PhD. He's going to call it, uh, a PhD with PBE. And he,
0: that's awesome! <laughs> yeah, oh,
1: how cute. he's going to just document it all of it, and and one of the interesting stories that's going to develop is we're going to document every step of the way uh, his his process of getting a PhD. But he's going to be heavily involved and in, in influenced from a MagnaChem perspective from the new model. And how to approach these problems, how he's analyzing this data. And so there's gonna be this ton of a very interesting, like, whoa, that's that's a new way of thinking about this. But then you're gonna see, you know, the response of the of the very technical people around him, right? And they're gonna go, I've never yeah. heard this, not get this nonsense out. You know, who knows what it's gonna what it's gonna cause, but we're gonna document it, man.
2: Yeah.
0: Gotta document it. That'd be that's fascinating. I'm looking forward to that
1: now, actually. Stan's going to be one of his advisors. That's what we're, we're working on.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> I
1: went through that little gauntlet
3: when I was at the U of A. Jan wanted me to be an advisor. That's right. It that caused a serious allergic reaction among the <laughs> faculty members.
1: <laughs> well, I think we're going to have a, a, a better time on this one.
3: Well, I took it in stride. <laughs> like in fact, you. I predicted the whole thing. I told Jan, you know, this is they're not going to they're not going to go along with this and that was just a minor detail i mean w- w- you know to change the way you think about how oil happens that that's a major revolution yeah.
1: somebody's got to do it you know it's got to happen
3: mine was just uh, you can play with magma compositions and reshuffle how porphyry copper's happened but that's just a minor skirmish compared to what we just did
1: yeah she did kind of a machine learning uh, ai type thing yeah. On, on magma, okay. magma camp on igneous rock metalized stuff. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, was, yeah, so really cool. Um, I, I'm looking forward to that as well with, with skips and, and the PhD with PBE. Uh, I love the idea. He hit me up the other day just talking about it. I'm like, man, we gotta, we definitely gotta do it. I mean, you know, why, why wouldn't we? Uh, we're going to earth, we're going, we're going to earth tech. Are you going to earth tech?
2: I don't
0: have plans to right now, but I could. I could probably make some. I got a
1: it? I got a rollaway with your name on it at the hotel, dude, if that's if that's going to hold you back. You got a free room, free rollaway uh that you, <laughs> you could crash on. Uh but it's we're rolling in on the 19th uh and then okay. the the actual shows the 20th, 21st and it's I think a half day maybe on the 22nd. It's 3 days. Um Okay. The weekend you can do like short courses and stuff, you know the this classic yeah. June. This is next June. This is June right here. This is like a month
0: from now. Yeah. In Houston. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to, I'm currently, you know, I'm looking for jobs. They got a couple leads. They got companies I've been doing contract work for, but just hopefully by then I'll have, you know, where I want to go and uh, be able to announce that. But for now I'm still looking for jobs. If anyone hears this in the near future, Heck yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Hopefully by then I can, you know, be with an oil company and be like, Hey, let's go to her tech.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, if you can make it happen, uh, I will definitely do whatever I can to, uh, to help with costs and stuff to, you know, we could for sure get an exhibit hall pass, yeah. right? You don't have to pay for that one, but if you want to go to the technical talks and all that stuff, that's where it gets real expensive, yeah. but just being on the exhibit floor, right. Being there, uh, talking to folks, shaking new hands, getting business cards, I think for sure it's still very unstable right now in and, and certainly yeah. in, in American oil and gas but even global oil and gas and geopolitics man it's a it's still a very touchy kind of what's really going on the 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 banks are not doing very well so there's not a lot of yeah. a ton of new money that's just pouring in from it uh everyone's still hurting from you know how how hard it was in 2018 and 2019 um but i i do step i'm believing it more and more every day that it's going to come back and it's going to be strong and these departments and these these uh these oil and gas companies and service companies are going to start really investing in in the you know minds that are excited to come to work every day they got the right positive attitude they have the ability to understand very complex things like the subsurface and the fluids and gases in them and how it relates to, you know, making money at the end of the day for the operators. Uh, but right. it, once we get to a certain point, and you can argue it's at 110, 120, you know, we start hitting north of that. And it the the risk, which is what's holding everyone back, which is bounded by the financial risk, it's not the idea. The idea is fine. It's how much money is it going to take and how much money are you going to make. When the prices get to a certain point the risk kind of goes out the window and they go, okay, you know, it's, we're at $120 oil, let's do it. And then, and that allows the growth and the progression of the technical side of our business and the departments to really take risk on ideas. And then they hit, right. I I argue that the next five years is going to be a a major lift in oil and gas uh, industry and the technical advances in the oil and gas industry. I think we're going to, we're going to see this, man. So just hang in there. I know it's got to be challenging. You're excited to get to work right away, but uh yeah. Take take your time.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I I think everyone's still skeptical and honestly, I I'd, I'd rather it be more of a slow climb, you know, than just to go straight up and then straight back down or something like that. So, I think in in, in a way the the skepticism and the slowness that is going on right now in terms of getting back to where we were is is kind of a good thing. So, but yeah, uh, like I said, I've been doing some contract work for, for a company, and, and they want to potentially hire me, and, and it you know, it kind of relies on getting funded and, and they're working on that. So I'm sure sh- but something will work out, and uh, I'm, I'm still going to be trying to pursue an oil and gas uh, position, so right nothing's going to change that. Right on,
1: man, right on. Stan, anything, anything uh, dropped out, or uh, you have a comment about kind of what your take is on the industry in the next three to five years? Nope. No comments. No comments. You're <laughs> no comment. 100% satisfied with the way the show went, huh? Yeah. You wanted to see some more core. I know that. You wanted yeah. to see some more core. More rocks yeah. for Stan. Always more rocks with this guy. <laughs> This episode of PBE Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Geolog. Geolog offers cost-effective, lab-quality, quantitative, real-time formation evaluation and reservoir characterization solutions to improve well placement, production forecasting, and optimizing of completions. They even have a service that can monitor bitware while drilling. I've actually utilized their services while drilling wells in the Permian Basin And we were highly impressed with the data acquisition process and the quality of the interpretations. These guys at Geolog are passionate about the data they collect each day at every well site. They've been doing it for 40 years. They are passionate about drill cuttings, passionate about mud gas data, passionate about what the data means and how the data can add value to an asset. They probably collect the most amount of drill cuttings and mud gas data globally each day of any privately owned surface mud logging company. Geolog always employ a consistent quantitative analytical methodology whether on the well site or back at the lab, so data collected at one well can be compared in another well. We'll be doing a podcast with Dr. Guy Oliver, Geolog's Director of Energy Transition and Data Science, who will be talking more about what Geolog does and diving more into the types of data they collect. This episode is brought to you by Atlas. Atlas is the Permian Basin's leading maintenance and repair service center. We provide full-service, bumper-to-bumper maintenance, repair, and diagnostics for all makes and models of the most in-demand cars, trucks, and SUVs. We also provide the same full-service solutions to keep your fleet running and 100% DOT compliant. Our pump division also provides the industry with the shortest turnaround times, keeping your transfer and injection pumps in the field where they belong our technicians and staff are eager to work with you and are willing to do what you need when you need it. Parts, service, and a desire to exceed your expectations are what set us apart from the rest. Call Atlas today at 432-245-5858 or visit us at www.atlas-ustx.com. I thought it would be pretty cool just to kind of get you to recap your experience From undergraduate to graduate, you know, obviously where you went to school, the professors that you kind of locked in on, and then eventually, you know, how you developed into this thesis topic. And then we'll dive into the thesis as the drill down. um, And then in the completion part of the show. And the idea, man, is, you know, there is no hard rock and soft rock in geology. Like, that's all made up because, you know, geologists don't really like to work together. Patrol... Yeah. Petroleum geologists, I'll go that way. Hard rock, you know, igneous mining geologists, well, I, I'll go I that like way. This
3: guy, he's pretty nice.
1: Ah, oh, no, I I work good soft rocker. I work fine. We see, he called you a soft rocker though. So this whole, I know,
0: I I I don't identify as either. I'm, I'm just a geologist.
1: You can't offend people like that anymore, Stan. Oh, quiet. Twenty twenty-two. Got to put a I'm muzzle on. <laughs> you can't uh they're they're not hard rockers they're not soft rockers we are geologists and we're trying to understand how the planet we're just rockers we're rockers baby that's it we're (laughs) just rockers trying to figure it out and so i thought that would be the coolest way to complete the show right on so so rock it back man what year you come out of undergrad you go into graduate talk to me
0: (laughs) okay so i guess i'll start with uh you know where i originally uh came from which is a small town in northwest Oklahoma called Fairview, and so it's about a, three thousand people in the town. So I'm a small town kid, I guess you can say, but I like to talk about it because around Fairview you have a lot of different geological uh, features, such as the Gloss Mountains, is what they're called, and they're not really mountains, of course, because it's uh, northwest Oklahoma, but they're you know basically these plateau or hills, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're plateaus, but they're gypsum capped uh, plateaus and you can go hike around on them and stuff, but they're really cool to look at. And it's a, it's a state park. And then you have the um, little Sahara state park, which is uh, sand dunes. So you have sand dunes. um, Then you have, and I've actually seen here recently a picture from an airplane flying over the sand dunes i posted it on on linkedin i think a year ago or so you could actually you know see which way the the dunes were migrating and see you know the flow directions and it was pretty interesting because i would never seen it from that view nice. but so, so you have the uh you have the little Sahara sand dunes in winoko which i can't remember how far maybe like 30 minutes away this, uh, the gloss mountains are about eight to ten minutes away they're pretty close to fairview and then you have the, um, salt plains. So where you can go dig, I don't know if you've heard of it, but you can go dig up the selenite crystals, um, with the hourglass, uh, sand in the middle, which is wow. pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty distinct. Whoa. So one? it's pretty, you got one of those.
1: But, I'm interested.
0: I, I don't have one on me. I, I could definitely send you a picture of one. You know, I growing up, we used to go dig them all the time. You take a little plastic pail and a little, um, you know, like the little garden trowel thing. Dude, you go digging. We yeah, need it's, to it's go. pretty
1: interesting. We need to come to Oklahoma with the plastic bucket, my five, my four-year-old, and a trowel. Your
0: kids would love it.
1: But I'm going to bring them all back and sell them at the and mineral show. Well, I <laughs> I have a bunch of gypsum from there. Is it filled with sand? Yeah, it's sand gypsum. That's yeah. freaking awesome. Okay, and when you say north, northwest Oklahoma, is that where we're at yeah, northwest mm-hmm. oklahoma okay
0: yeah so all that's right there in northwest oklahoma so i think that's pretty interesting you know it when i was younger i didn't really think about the geology behind it but obviously as i started my undergrad which segue into that now i guess uh, you know i i started my undergrad at os oklahoma state and didn't really know what i wanted to do so i started in business because that's just what i started in and was looking at marketing and different things. And I realized real quick that, uh, it's boring. It's really boring. And, uh, you might be able to get a job everywhere, but it it wasn't for me. So I, I actually had to take a geology class as, you know, other majors, non-science majors have to take, I think at least one science class. And so I, I picked geology and excuse me, fell in love with, uh, with the geology class and obviously, you know, geology in general. So I decided then that I wanted to get out of marketing and then pursue geology. So started my geology, uh, you know, undergrad, uh, started taking all the classes, you know, ev- uh, history of the earth and um, all the intro classes, structural, sedimentology, and stratigraphy. Um, and I kind of, I kind of, I kind of steered towards two things. One thing I did was I did undergraduate geochem research, nice, which I was mainly looking at stable isotopes uh, of precipitation. And I did a, uh, you know, a project and a poster with uh, one of my friends at the time. So we did it together, but we were looking at precipitation samples from here in Stillwater. Precipitation Um,
1: samples from
0: Stillwater. Precipitation samples. What is that? So just any kind of precipitation, it was collected, you know, and, in basically, you know, like the, whatever they're called that, you know, your rain collector. Ah, But it collected, he left it out, you know, during the winter and, and all the months. So it was, you know, just random precipitation samples over like four years. So we did a, a local meteoric water line and compared that to the global meteoric water line and tried to tease out some information about um you know where this this the source moisture was coming from and things like that it's been so long since i've since i've looked at that stuff so i can't talk too much about it i get myself in trouble That's but so cool. I, I focused i did some geochem research and then i i really i really liked and enjoyed geophysics so i kind of steered towards you know we had one one professor here that was the main geophysics professor and I, I thought eventually if I wanted to go back and get my master's, I'd probably work under him. But I really enjoyed seismic, took some seismic interpretation classes, got familiar with some of the software, uh, IHS Kingdom, uh, really liked GPR, uh, ground penetrating radar, and he was uh he was really good at that. So he we and we had two machines here that we used all the time to do field work. So I learned a lot about that. <clears throat> And then my senior year, I got an internship at a company in Oklahoma City called Reagan Smith. And uh, at this company, I I think I talked about this on my on my first podcast with PBE, but we did all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know, it was uh, mainly a perm- permitting company. So <laughs> yeah, you they t- did anything to do you talk- anything to do with?
1: <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. but what? what I remember from it is you you talked about how you were having to. To either run a permit line or run a, a seismic line or something. You had to, like, hack your bushwhack, your, you know, your way yeah. through this crazy, you know, area of Oklahoma. No, was yeah, Oklahoma that, was in, that was
0: actually in the Sam Houston National Forest. Oh, that was in, in, <laughs> okay, in Texas. In, in Conroe, Texas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were doing wood uh, red cockaded woodpecker surveys. So, you'd have your GPS in your hand. And I was decked out head to toe, you know, covered, had a gator on my neck. I had long sleeves on, had, um, under armor, long sleeve under armor under my, my shirt, you know, uh, full length pants, snake guards on my shins. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah.
1: You're ready and to so say claims have, then, man. You know you're what it's in like.
0: Spacesuit. <laughs> I, I did see some copperheads too. So I'm glad Jeez. I, I'm glad I ha- had those snake guards, but. Yeah. So you'd have a transect line and you'd have to walk through the forest and you, you know, you'd have to pretty much stay on that transect line for the most part. So you'd be walking down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up through the forest. And I'd get to this giant blackberry thicket that, you know, was like above my head. I like a couple feet or whatever. And so later I'd be swimming through the thing, just, just getting tore up. Yes. My shirts were tore up. My pants were tore up. It was, it was, a. Uh, I'll say it wasn't that fun.
1: No but. appreciation for nature. Yeah, <laughs> so raw
0: all the, and you know, tooth and claw. And, and the, the purpose of that was because this we had a we had a company that came to us and they wanted to permit a well in the middle of the Sam Houston Forest, so you had to go look to make sure you weren't destroying any uh, woodpecker habitats. But yeah, and then I did a lot of the stuff that I enjoyed at Reagan Smith. And the main things I enjoyed was doing the ground penetrating radar surveys. Um so I did we did a lot of those for um the Cheyenne Araco tribe del- trying to delineate um you know unmarked burials or places where they knew that there was artifacts that they wanted to delineate from surface disturbance associated with, you know, maybe making a pond for frack water or you know, making a pad. So mm-hmm.
1: cool. So you get the run to grad, go right into your graduate degree.
2: Can you hear that?
1: I do hear uh, it was something. It wasn't that. It wasn't that obvious.
0: Sound like a copperhead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think they're they're breaking up rocks. So if it's not too bad, I'll keep going. But if I need to, we can pause.
1: Now nah, let's do it. Let's but record. You, record you in your element, man.
0: Oh, all right. Well, we're breaking rocks in the background for everyone. If you hear anything. Uh, anyways, so yeah. Um, after that, I got an internship at Reagan Smith my senior year of undergrad. Went to, you know, did that while I was finishing my last semester, uh, driving back and forth to Oklahoma city. Then after I graduated, went to field camp, of course, Canyon city, Colorado, had a great time. One of the best times of my life actually. And then came back and started working full-time at Reagan Smith. So I accepted a full-time job doing ground penetrating radar surveys, doing, uh, I also did a lot of, uh, drilling, uh, engineering programs. For oil and gas companies, for permitting purposes, so whenever you submit an APD, they request a drilling program, and you know that's kind of just you take your formation tops and you you say you take your uh, well board trajectory or your survey, and you say you know this is how much sacks of cement you need. Here is where your uh, intermediate casing is going to start, where your production casing is going to start, and here's the blowout preventer you need. With uh, basically, you know, uh, entry level uh, or not entry, in- like intro or drilling engineering 101 i guess nice. you could say yeah so we ha- we had a drilling engineer that uh worked for the company and he kind of told me the ins and out and showed me everything so and then i guess uh the next next piece of the puzzle is uh may 2020 happened and we all know what happened in 2020 so i got furloughed in may of 2020 and I uh, was still, I was working contract for Reagan Smith at the time because they still kept me on to do some GPR stuff that they had going on because I obviously didn't have you know, very much oil and gas activity. But uh, then I decided to go back to school because I got a great offer um, from my advisor here. Uh, told me that you know, I'd, I'd be fully funded basically getting paid to go to right on. get my master's and couldn't really turn that down because I knew I wanted to go back. So I knew it was time. Right on. So um, I actually didn't go and study under the geophysics professor like I thought I would. Um, I went and studied under Dr. Puckett, who is a uh, petroleum. Uh, his focus is petroleum geology, conventional, unconventional reservoir characterization. Um, I can't remember what else are his main focuses, but you know, heavily petroleum geology. And so that that's what I was going to do. And uh, for the first semester, I had no idea what my project was going to be, uh, kind of, you know, we were going back and forth on what I could do and some potential, uh, things I could look at even was thinking about maybe looking at the 13 finger limestone. Um, then finally decided, uh, that we were going to do, uh, zircon provenance on the cottage Grove sandstone. So I think, uh, at the, I think the, the start of my third semester, Um, I I finally figured out what I was going to do. So (laughs) I did a lot of work in a short amount of time,
1: (laughs) but, all right. So at that point, you get an opportunity to actually pick a thesis topic for the first time, or you had some options. You just were kind of like deflecting some thesis options before this.
0: Yeah, well, I was kind of, you know, working with my advisor to see what, um, we had access to in terms of, in terms of data, in terms of rock and what would be feasible. And, uh, the year prior, uh, I think he graduated in 2020. There was a student that worked under him who did a Zircon provenance study on the Cherokee group, sandstones in Oklahoma. So it kind of had, he kind of knew, you know, what lab we were going to use, uh, how the methods were going to work, stuff like that. So
1: right on, man. Okay. So you pick your thesis, you start getting, uh, you you start getting started, right? You start compiling the data, picking your, where you're going to do all this with your advisor.
0: Right. Yeah. Yep.
1: And how'd that go? How'd that go?
0: It went great. Uh, you know, we kind of decided, uh, you know, at first it was like, where are we going to get the rock? And we were trying to figure out if they were drilling any wells in the cottage Grove. Uh, you know, uh, well, you wanted to look at Northwest Oklahoma specifically, so around you know like Northern Anadarko Basin, Dewey Ellis County area. So uh, we it took us forever to find some rock because no one was really drilling any Cottage Grove wells, so we couldn't get you know any rock cuttings. So we ended up, thankfully, uh, one day we went to go look at some core at the Oklahoma Petroleum Information Center, uh, which is ran by the Oklahoma Geologic survey in Norman and they have you know a whole a huge warehouse full of core well logs um all kinds of stuff um so went to look at this core and uh, kind of talked to the lady you know that ran it and we, we were wondering you know can we you know is there any core that's laying around that is insignificant doesn't have maybe some uh footage tied to it you know that people won't be interested in and she actually uh, was able to find some some core chips that didn't have any uh footage tied to them so they were you know really no use for them because you didn't know what where mystery. they were coming at from and right. they in the, in the cord well and uh so thankfully I finally found some rock and we were off to the races
1: so the rock the rock chips that you started working with didn't have depths tied to the rock chips correct but you knew what formation it was from
0: Knew what formation it was from, knew okay. the approximate depth based on uh, the well logs and where you could see, you know, the clean sandstone and the well log. Okay. And knew, obviously knew the top of the cord interval and the bottom of the cord interval. So okay. knew it's, that kind of helped to right. uh, delineate the, you know, approximate depth of it. Okay, right.
3: Were you going for the uh, clean sandstone interval?
0: Correct. The clean, we were trying to go for the cleanest intervals. And, and with the cottage grove, you know, uh, if you guys can remember, it's like encased in marine shale and then it has the upper cottage grove uh, is what I've been calling it. It's uh, inner inner uh, bedded siltstone and shale. So it's not very clean. And then you have the, the clean sandstone right under that.
1: Okay. Yeah. I just, oh wow! You got it pulled up. Just pulled up the thesis, man. Run through the title of your thesis real quick, as we're going to drill down into you know your findings, and uh, and some of the takeaways that we want you, you want people to to know from this.
0: Yeah. So one thing to mention about the title, whenever I was thinking about what I wanted to do, with, in terms of the title, uh, I wanted to make sure and have you know uranium, lead, and hafnium in the title because that's a significant portion of you know how the how the research was conducted and then from there it's you know pretty simple the tridals are Conology, and provenance provenance being where are these where are these grains coming from where are these are originating from and how are they getting to the northern antarico basin mm-hmm. so and the missourian is you know the series of upper pennsylvanian so that kind of helps delineate uh where you're at in terms of stratigraphy
3: so missourian is mid pennsylvanian
0: uh upper pennsylvanian okay
1: yes i'm guessing a stretch the strat chart is going to be probably one of the first things we run into
0: um yeah i i think it is go keep going down it's it's a it's a little weird. So you have the the background. Well, that's previous literature. Keep going. I like that one. Then the background after this. Yeah, that was one of my, my comments from one of my uh, uh, committee members. She wanted me to move the track column up. And when, which I actually did it. I think you have, yeah, you have an older version. There we go. That's not it. That's uh, originic events. <laughs>
1: oh, wow. Oh cool. Okay. But you said you're upper Pennsylvanian, so you're in this Ouachita, Allegheny Allegheny. Yeah. Where does uh what's the Allegheny? Is that coming east-west Stan, or is that n- uh north-south?
3: Well, it's named for the Allegheny Mountains up in uh well, somewhere in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, I yeah. think. Appalachian okay. Appalachian. Okay.
1: So it's kind of a yeah,
3: northeast-southwest origin
1: north east south, west.
3: yeah, probably getting a little more east west as you get to the south the, you're converging
1: is. vectors east west around well
3: alleghanian is if you go to the real big picture the plate tectonics is um Africa north america collision okay, and then the washita is south africa um i mean south america north America collision,
1: okay so being in Oklahoma, this is probably feeling more of that Northwest conversion vector from South America than the I East would
3: one. Yeah, I would say it's more of a South American assembly event. But then, you, you know, the one thing that is not talked about here is the influence of flat subduction coming from the Southwest.
1: Whoa, so you got flat That's sub- the
3: Birchfell and Woo story.
1: In the Pennsylvanian
2: time.
3: Yeah. Southwest Well, and or to what extent this interacts with the so-called ancestral rocky event, which is mid-pen.
1: Flat subduction. Yeah. What? Whoa. So flat subduction, and then you have two massive accretions coming from either the southeast, south, which is South America. Yeah,
3: South America gets there a little early compared to uh, Appalachian, which is the final assembly.
1: Coming from the, the east, yeah. Holy smokes, man! The structure of complexity on this is lights out. I don't know. Come on, flat subduction, <laughs> two major collisions. <laughs> oh, no, I no. mean, yeah. What what else are you well, impressed you have by? Some of that
3: going on in the Permian Basin.
1: Well, yeah, I know that, and that's again, that's like Pangea, man. That's like the the coolest structural history we have. <laughs> I don't know. You
3: just love your Pangea.
1: It's it's pretty
2: cool. <laughs> wow. All right.
1: Cottage Grove, Upper Missourian, uh, so the top two thirds of, uh, of Pennsylvania yeah. time.
0: Yeah, and then uh, over here on the on the right side is yeah, a type log from from the study area, and kind of what I was talking about earlier. This it's typical for the cottage grove to be encased in marine shale, which is you know this this yellow that you're seeing on the log here, that yellow color below it and above it. And I, you know, I'll I have some pictures of, of core and we can kind of show it in that too if we want to. But I know you guys, I think you guys saw that that black uh marine fissile shale. Yeah, we
3: had some fun with that.
0: Yeah. And I do have some more interesting uh some more interesting core photos for us to look at if we have time.
3: Yeah, we we need to go back and review those first ones that we looked at.
0: Okay. Yeah I got those ready.
3: Nice. So and did you get any thin sections cut of the of the sands to where yeah, we can look I, I, at I just, the Grain textures? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah,
2: the
0: yeah, I did. I had some uh some recycled thin sections from someone who had studied the uh cottage grove here at OSU about like twenty to thirty years ago, and then I cut uh four new thin sections from one of the cores I looked at. Okay. Is that per
3: our discussion or you already had them?
2: No, I already had them.
1: Okay. So the mid-continent granite rhyolites are from 13 to 1550. And that's that's where your acreage would lie. It would be somewhere on this pale color. Correct. Yeah. Rock.
3: Right where, where the 530 sign is. But the yeah, right above it,
1: which is the wa- the the which taking Wichita. province is five hundred and thirty million years, so you got zircon, so you're you're kind of lining yourself up of maybe what type of ages you're gonna see in the cores of these zircons because of the age of the crusts that you have mapped out here,
3: just so right, you, yeah. just so you know the uh the cutting edge now is uh where they're talking about mid-continent granite rhyolites and Wichita igneous province, that's now been reassigned to the picarus orogeny. I don't know if you've heard of that or if that's come to town
0: in uh, Oklahoma yet. (laughs) I, I can honestly say I have not heard of that yet.
1: Picarus. This is all now considered picarus.
0: Yeah, a timeline. Really?
1: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So it goes Grenville, picarus, yavapai. It's and
3: and also the cutting edge is that they're no longer. Th- you can see that uh, the anorogenic nomenclature is still hanging around in your map. There is the granite rhyolites, and most people then would say anorogenic, but that's not true anymore. The the newer thinking is that those are orogenic granites related to the Pickers' orogeny. Right.
0: On. Okay, I'll have to look into that. I haven't heard that yet. That so com- yeah, the, the ages comes out and everything. In okay. The ages and, uh, this, I, I put this together actually my, not completely myself. I modeled it after someone, but I edited it a lot in, uh, you know, Photoshop and, and kind of made it into what I wanted it to look like. So Always I good. looked at, you know, 15 to 20 studies and kind of combined all of the, the ages and what, what I thought. So. So, Picarus-Orogeny-Stan,
1: where's your converging vector for that orogenic event? From the southeast. It's coming this way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of like Grenville.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. And is it flat subduction?
3: Well, it starts out with a steep subduction and then it, um, well, a moderate angle subduction, then it flattens.
1: Wow. By 1550. I mean, by 13.
3: 1300 yeah basically 14 oh 1380 to 1300 is the flat subduction part of it
1: and then really no more old rocks being
3: well then you have grenville superimposed on that
1: to the south
3: right and there's a irregular plutons of grenville age that pop up in to the northwest like in the uh colorado area you have the uh
1: through the Yavapai or through the Picaris?
3: It's coming up through right about at that boundary there, I know, where the eye is in Igneous, there in Wichita.
1: Here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, here, the eye in Wichita. Wow. Right on. Okay, so that yeah, was cool. It's the Pikes Peak
3: Batholith Complex. That's about 1,900 to 1,000. Grenville. Yeah. Whoa, right
1: on. Right on, interesting.
3: But that's not in the main orogenic segment. That's what he more or less has it right.
2: Yeah. Cool. Right on. Right on. Okay, let's do this. Where are we going from here? Um, keep keep scrolling. Let's keep going. Maybe we can go past the, uh, well, let's, let's, uh, keep
0: going down a little bit. Let's talk about the, we can talk about the depositional, yeah, let's talk about
2: uh, environments talk about the real rocks. quick. Yeah. Keep going. So this is the, oh, okay.
0: this, this is one of the cores that I looked at. And like I was saying, you know, above, this is the upper cottage Grove, uh, what it's typically, typically called, yeah, right there. And, uh. It's this interbedded bedded siltstone and shale. And then above that, you have a fissile black shale, kind of like what you see below the lower cottage Grove, and, fine. uh, it's, it's not here because it's, it's not in this core, but it, it's there. So you have this encased unit and. Through uh, talking to my my committee and everything, this, this, this the main sandstone productive unit, the Lower growth Sandstone, where all the wells are completed and where the oil That's and gas is guy. produced, uh, has been called a sand ridge Should in the past way. or a, a shallow marine shelf sand ridge or bar. Which you have you this is an older version of my thesis and I I've changed it since that and we're now. Uh, thinking that it's more of a shoal facies, uh, just based on you know here it's it's not even that thick it's it's pretty small. I and, take it
3: you're completely done with your thesis now, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, correct. Okay,
2: because I uh, submitted it. There's and,
3: another radical interpretive possibility here that we'll get into, which we sort of grade, graced on the last time. But what's good. that? That it's a locally produced extrudite mud, silica mud. Okay. And the zircons in it are coming from various other sources other than fluvial systems.
0: But... Yeah, definitely very possible.
1: So you would... uh, Huh. Yeah, you would get zircons in here that are getting coughed up with this extrudite. Yeah. Pulling it off from... From the deeper stuff as it's making its way right now. Surface. Um, an extrudite though, is that like a a seep kind of mud? So, mud bound, yeah. It's at the it's it's it's, it's breaching yeah, it's, the surface,
3: it, yeah. It's like your almost thing in the Somerset,
2: sure.
1: So, it's silica
3: bre- muds. That's why we really need to look at those thin sections you might have cut of this because. I don't think you're going to be able to establish, a, well, the question is whether it's fluvially deposited or mud, mud flow.
1: You would see that in a thin section? Yeah. How would you make the distinction?
3: Uh, the mud stuff should be much more angular, mm. indicating it hasn't really traveled that far. And a lot of these things could be matrix-supported quartz class. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's let's look. <laughs> pulling like it the, out of your tail, I reserve man. Yeah. I totally reserve <laughs> the right to completely change everything I just said.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, cool. I
0: definitely have I think I have I should have plenty of thin section uh photomicrographs for so over here on this right side, these black dots here. That yeah, right there, those are the where the thin sections are located. Well, wow, right on, yeah. So that kind of kinda of gives you an idea where where those were taken. Okay, do you
1: have those in the thesis these uh thin sections?
0: uh, I don't have them in the thesis. um I have some photomicrograph images but but I don't think I have those, so
1: can you grab them real quick? We might as well knock that yeah, out while yeah. we' here
0: i
3: I can pull those up, yeah, well, you're all ready to go here.
1: oh yeah, we're gonna call you out, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> let's well, see the uh yep. go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, I can share whenever, but go yeah. ahead,
1: whatever you're going to say. Do it. No, share. Hit, hit the share button. It should just switch right over.
0: Okay. Uh, it's saying you cannot start screen share while other participants are sharing. Okay. Wow, I now let's try it. There we go. Might see screen uh, for a second. I hope uh, no. Nope, it took it away. All right.
3: See, it's kind of good we had this preliminary rehearsal, because now he's gone and gotten this stuff that we were just
0: talking about. Exactly. I I had the core photos ready, just not the thin sections. (laughs) So we'll start at the top here. Well, you know what? That's I think that's more the siltstone shale interval.
2: Okay. What is that? Footages? Or what's the
0: 30... Yeah, those are probably those are key. just just image numbers. Okay. So, would you rather see uh, plane polarized or cross polarized? Uh both,
3: but uh, plane is fine with me.
2: Okay.
1: Here we go.
0: Oh, so are these, are these core form.
3: plugs that you'd have?
0: Yes, but we we didn't do any uh, porosity or permeability on them. Sadly, these are cut specifically for thin sections. Do you have a carbonate matrix to that? Uh, oh, yeah, go. this one looks like it is uh, calcite yeah. cemented.
1: Because of the blues. So this, yeah, blow uh, that
3: up and we can see a little better in the.
1: It does look kind of angular. The They're grains really angular,
3: and they and they have a
1: calcite yeah. cement to them.
0: Got this angular guy right there. Yeah.
1: So angular. All, go ahead.
0: All this in between, yeah. like. Uh, Stan was talking about is is calcite this uh, kind of I don't know what you'd call it it's almost orangish uh, brownish uh, yeah high bio infringement but yeah
3: what are the black class? Yeah. these uh, yeah are they chert or what
0: I think these are just quartz uh, that are you know under under loose oh, right now oh yeah 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 extinct gotcha. yeah yeah yeah
1: the light's not coming through.
0: Well, actually, look over here, and you can. No, this one, opaque down. this is, yeah, probably some kind of heavy mineral. Then, yeah, These the are. one
3: over there on the left, yeah.
1: This thing's got a kind of tail yeah, with that's it. something else. The hell is that? Because
3: that's not one of those extinction there.
1: Oh man, that thing's got some funky looking texture. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's totally connected there too. Could be, yeah oh man it's Maybe. just straight
3: black
0: yeah same same with this guy up here
2: yeah he's not like as funky grain. though
1: yeah it looks more like a grain chuck that one up as a grain to me but okay so so okay stan it's angular you got calcite cement
3: yeah now the interpretation from a ultra deep hydrocarbon model point of view is that the cements are not introduced they, they occur at the same time so they're part of the mud flow
1: that didn't that didn't okay. cement later right cemented right when the quartz got there yeah and so
3: and and they're typically interpreted as orthogenic in the sedimentary literature but it's it's really almost a syngenetic carbonate cement that's introduced okay. with as part of the mud. In fact, it's the matrix. Uh, and to some extent, if we look at that, you can see that some of those are, those clasts in there are matrix supported, but not totally. It looks like the- Yeah. And it looks like the calcites are occupying, a are occupying zones in between the clasts there's Hmm. calcite rich matrix and then there's class rich but the whole thing looks like it could have been a siliceous mud okay but with carbonate so as the main mud matrix Hmm. and you say uh other other than calcite uh matrix you do you have a dolomite matrix
0: yes Those are the two primary ones, calcite and uh, dolomite. And what else? Uh, Mostly just those. Okay.
3: And uh, do you either get one or the other,
0: or do they get mixed, or what? There's instances where they are mixed, yes. Uh, Sometimes you even see, uh, uh, you know, one butted up right against another. There's a distinct boundary. Is
3: mm-hmm. there is there a paragenetic relationship, i.e., as the calcite pre or post date the dolomite? Uh, or-
0: I think I did I do have a paragenetic sequence or diagenetic events that I made yeah. in my thesis. Do you want me to pull that up? Yeah,
3: I remember
1: we were looking at that. Uh, I just turned you off so I can jump to it. All right, quick. there
0: you go. It's, I think it's pretty far at the bottom, and then oh there it is. Yeah.
2: So if you scroll
0: up, uh, this this is yeah. This is kind of the yeah calcite. You show an the, early the cal- yeah, but, interpretation, but then there's a later calcite. Mm-hmm. Right. And that just kind of covers because in some of them you'd see I'd see you know complete dissolution, high porosity, and it was like the grains were basically floating in porosity. So. Uh, and then then you'd see where there was almost a, based on grain relationship, there is like this reprecipitation of calcite in some of the pores. Aha. So that's how I kind of threw that We're last sort late of stage calcite.
3: Overlaps in with uh, in the beginning of what you're referring to as hydrocarbon migration. And what texturally did you see that is hydrocarbon
0: migration related? Texturally, uh this is just based off of the porosity i never saw any uh hydrocarbon in the pores, but that's just the last piece that i put in there
3: okay that's sort of a model dependent thing then
0: right correct yes
3: um Hmm. let's go back to that one uh thin section you had where that black stuff was see what's interesting about especially that one elongate blevy thing yeah that looks like that's cross-cutting
2: whatever it is yeah it does it kind of goes over this quartz grain a little bit yeah
3: i wonder if that's some kind of hydrocarbon thing that came in could be I
0: mean, hmm. it looks late yes it does Looks like it's, yeah, you know, like you said, cross cutting the this, the cement and this this porch grain a little bit.
3: Yeah, there's another one to the immediate right of it in the center that looks also cross cutting. I think those may be hydrocarbons.
1: Nice. Corriginous hydrocarbons.
2: Yeah. That would
1: make sense to me. Let's break it up and look at it. Let's shoot it. <laughs>
2: Get the ramen.
1: Uh, right on. Okay. So Stan's uh, Stan's hypothesis that it would be angular uh, grains, and now calcite and dol- dolomite cement yeah, that's with late
3: hydrocarbons. I mean, that's um, that's all consistent with uh, the model that I play with. Cool. Oh, there's another one over there to the left. Go go over to that. Pull that pull that guy back
0: which one over
3: here here, no yeah that guy but you can see it better in the plain light oh okay pull that yeah see that guy there he's snaking in between grains oh yeah yeah what's going on that's definitely late it's more of the same stuff i think those are hydrocarbons
1: huh how would you figure that out uh well
3: the other question is did you fluoresce any of this stuff
0: i did not no Oh, that's it. No fluorescent. Get a... Because if it's yeah, aromatics,
3: the uh-huh. aromatics will throw a blue fluorescence You at
1: can you. literally get a black light, turn off the lights, turn the microscope on, and hit the mm-hmm. hit the piece of You got it. Glass I'll, I'll with bet
3: them. those will light up blue.
1: Dude. Let's
0: go. Might be a take-home project.
1: Might be something to do over <laughs> a couple of beers, man.
0: All right. <laughs> we'll
1: send you the black light. We got plenty of them. If you need one,
3: yeah, I got a long way one out out there on the desk. Yeah, I don't think I
0: have one handy, but I'm interested now to piqued my interest.
1: Heck yeah, that would be really cool to see some <laughs> fluorescence out of this thing. You would.
0: Well, and th- and this is in the interval
3: where they get all the oil. Is that right?
0: Yeah, this is in the uh, the the main producing
2: interval. I'll
3: bet you a beer that it's. Uh... Mm. <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested. I'm <laughs> interested. But but uh, Troy has to bet me a steak dinner.
1: Uh, I'm not no, betting okay. against you. I'm rooting for you. You know, i do <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> ju- not
3: taking ju- that one. <laughs> All
1: right, let's. Uh, cool. Let's get into uh, zircon specifically for a minute, and uh, and kind of just the methodology of kind of how you go after it. Um, maybe some pictures. You, you should go back to your thesis or.
3: Well, let let me just summarize this observation and stuff a little bit. Um, Well,
2: not really.
3: I can
0: move on. Oh. Do you want to summarize it? Yeah, he does. does.
3: Yeah, it looks to me like uh, the oil event is coming in on top of the carbonate event. And typically when you hydrogenate the black kerogen, that that looks like kerogen that is being globulated uh, and reacted into more liquid state hydrocarbons. So So, it's like an
1: anthraxolite or something.
3: Well, yeah. But if you did the Rocky Vol on that material, I'll bet its S1s would be up there. Hmm. Uh, And it it might be a... uh, HC type fairly hydrogen rich kerogen.
1: Hydrogen rich kerogen. That's what S high S1 is is indicating. You have a high yeah. you have a hydrogen right. rich kerogen.
3: Right. So, another and it it but if it has the aromatics in it, it should fluoresce. But I'm gonna guess that the alkane chains have started to come in here too. Uh so this is on its way to making some oil and in the context of carbonate so as you know from lewin's experiments when he made oil he made carbonates at the same co2 at the same time uh-huh. so they, they're basically coexisting <clears throat> with the in this case the oil would more or less come down between the calcite generation and the uh dolomite formation so the, the oxygen's so getting all,
1: stripped from the system yeah and any kerogen around is getting hydrogenated,
3: and the oxygen's going into the carbonate.
1: Right, you're getting Mother Nature's carbon sequestration going. That's right. Now in the in the primary zones where the the actual commercial amounts of oil and gas are coming from, is is that just uh, what's going on there? Why do you, why is there more kerogen, you know, pr- produced over there or depositing over there than? then over here
3: um well i mean this is in the interval where the oil
1: is i know but it's got you got a couple of little pieces of kerogen in this thing and and this is not just stained with oil you know the core is not oil because stained. this is
3: a, a locality within this interval where the kerogen was being hydrogenated Al- although you could argue that was de- that's dead oil too
1: but it's low you know there's not a lot of hydrocarbon generation going on here you know there's some are obviously seeing that or speculating that there's but
3: if they a bit that's that's five ten percent oil there or kerogen. is One
1: the core is the core oil stained no okay it wasn't so when you when you have you know commercial deposit where you want to actually right. you know, put a well bore, it's oil stain. The rock is just—it's oil and gas all over the place. Why is that happening in some parts of this rock, northwest, east, southeast of here, wherever? And then this one seems to be pretty dry.
3: Well, how close are you and to the actual oil fields in this particular locality?
0: <clears throat> this is this is in one of the, one of the oil fields. So most of the oil fields are are They're set right by these shoals you know that are uh elongate but i mean this this well did produce oil and gas
2: (laughs) wait a minute say no more
1: (laughs) i thought this was uh this was not a producing well i thought you were looking at something that oh, it was
3: just a bunch of dead core that they didn't use
1: okay okay it's not oil stained though the rock's not oil stained right huh but it produced. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah.
3: Now,
0: I've- how much, I'm not sure. I I could find out, but I don't know how much.
3: Yeah, that'd be interesting. But yeah. I mean, you're basically right in the system.
2: Now,
0: yeah. if this is
3: part of a, the shoals have another interpretation from a UDH perspective, um, they right. are low bait, low relief, Silicious mud mounds that are of local origin. Uh, and, and if there's a migration path, it's not an oil migration path. The oil's forming right where you see it. It's um, a brine migration path, which is where those carbonates are coming from, and the and these hydrothermal muds. Okay. And, and they're How, coming from a deeper reservoir underneath where the oil fields are. And ultimately, they're going way deep into the serpentine basal crust.
1: The mounds can be, you know, generally how big, you know, Uh, what what kind of analog do you have? Like, you're not talking like the damn (laughs) Azerbaijan mud mound. I (laughs) am talking that. That big?
3: Oh, easily. That that bitain thing? Yeah. Is an oil field.
1: Yeah, then that, that would be, you would consider that one mound. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right.
3: And there's these. obviously faces within it, but I mean, the whole thing is one edifice.
1: <clears throat> How big <clears> is that? <throat> it's pretty damn big. A few miles by a few miles, isn't it? Yeah. How big are these shoals, the, what you're interpreting as shoals?
0: Uh, they're not that big. I would say some of them are, I don't want to butcher this, but half, a mile or two by three miles or four miles. Well, uh, that's in yeah. the same same
3: ballpark.
1: Yeah, that's the same. It's similar scales than what okay. we're saying with out
0: there.
3: How thick are they? How how high do they get?
0: Not too thick. Uh I would say at most maybe a hundred feet. Okay.
1: <clears throat> Ten story building.
3: Yeah, Lochbayton is uh is about 100, hundred, two hundred meters thick.
2: So it's like five, six. A low relief edifice, yeah,
3: pancake type thing. So yeah,
2: yeah. these are are typically pretty thin.
3: How much fossils have you got in these things? So quite a bit.
0: Um, Ooids, so called. No, I haven't seen any ooids.
1: Let's see. In the sandstone, you got fossils.
0: Yes. Fossil
3: fragments. Fossil frags.
2: Okay. not Yeah, here's something, I guess. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe a... I can't remember what I interpreted
0: this as. Maybe a bright zone is what I said. Blow that up some more.
3: That doesn't look... That good? You want more? It doesn't look too buggy to me. Some kind of fragmental, but it's got black things in it that are sticking yeah. in the porosity. Those are probably carogens. Carogenous. Would that be a dolomite class by any chance?
0: It could be. Let's
2: see if he's cross these,
0: these these aren't these aren't stained. It would be helpful if it
2: was, but. Uh, Looking pretty cow in here. Yeah. See,
3: it's definitely. Yeah, but it's also cross cutting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the quartz. Yeah. The quartz come right into it right there. Yeah. And here.
3: I don't think that's a fossil. I think that's something else. I think that's some kind of a fragment fragment i'd out. have
0: to, i'd probably have to dig a while to find a, a decent fossil but i did see you know crinoid lots of crinoids both in thin section and uh core oh, you to see something like uh, this
3: would be routinely called a bioclast by the sedimentary community
0: something i thought uh was pretty interesting there's this uh with a gastropod know right, that in... one i won't argue
1: with you <laughs> <laughs> the fibonacci pod
0: and one of the uh marine shales either underlying or overlying but so i thought that was pretty neat
1: yeah yeah that things really cool it's the fibonacci looking at us
0: mm-hmm. as
1: a matter of fact yeah look at that yeah, that's in I'm the black sure. shales, mean? though i'm looking at you were
3: yeah now the other yeah, interesting yeah. thing he's got there let's go back to that one slide again okay uh, yeah, what's this highly birefringent thing? It looks like a mica.
0: Mica, yeah, definitely. These are these are micas around here. Uh, well, let me flip wow. the other one.
1: That's high temp stuff, no?
0: Yes, it is. Let's see, yeah, it's clear and in plain light. So, yeah, in my mind, that would be a mica for sure.
3: You have any idea what kind of mica would it be? A muscovite?
0: I'm pretty positive it'd be a muscovite. Yeah, it's high temp. Wow.
1: So that's,
3: and you've got several other of them floating around. The big one is up there, but uh,
0: there's other right. ones off to the left side. <laughs> yeah, of that. up here. Yeah. And then right here, possibly. There's there's a bunch of mica uh, in in the cottage grove. Almost every, th- every thin section I've looked at has mica.
1: <laughs> Does the mica appear to be cross cutting the quartz and stuff, or what's going on here?
3: Oh, that's a class.
1: It's, it's a source
3: it. of sutured grain boundary there, but
1: uh, these are these are coming in, in.
3: Who's what?
1: Early or late? Mm.
3: I'm going to guess they're
0: early, but I don't know. Yeah, I would I would assume early. Uh, and this kind of this uh, quartz grain over here is pretty interesting. Um, I didn't remember seeing that. Very long and skinny. Yeah, platy.
1: Yeah, platy quartz.
3: You can have that. Wow, but again, very angular, very immature. So, if right. you're interpreting this from a sedimentological point of view, this hasn't gone very far. And it was interesting that, like in your math that you had earlier in the thesis, you had this part of a huge river system that connected all the way up to the Northern Appalachians and stuff like that. I mean,
1: that particular yeah. sample couldn't have couldn't have traversed. It wouldn't.
3: That much. It wouldn't have come from that. Right. Okay. So you, you I, got a problem with that.
0: Yeah, there there's a small problem with that. And I my way of tackling that in terms of sedimentological view was, you know, saying that there's obviously uh proximal source terrains.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's gotta be. You know, it's good it's that's right. That's right. And uh what's what, sti- what Stan in the hydrothermal perspective is saying that you're 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 on it. You know, your source is coming from right where you're. And it your
3: would be at. plucking other stuff from the deeper parts of the sedimentary sequence. Okay. So the actual transport is more vertical than lateral stream type stuff. And then it comes okay. up and it erupts end of these things that are being called shoals when in fact they're just shallow mud mounds, surface mud vounds. okay and
1: then in seismic or grav mag or something you'd be able to to start making some some big structural connections to that mound
3: yeah you ought to see some uh conduit type f- features in the seismics underneath these things hmm
1: and then okay so we're looking at this graph relative probability and uh zircons by age yeah
0: so those are the uranium lead ages
1: <clears throat> so your your uh, most of your samples are coming in with grenville age is that what this is saying
0: yeah yep. and that's that's really that's really common with you know i i compared i don't know how many uh studies to this study but I just compared a lot of studies, you know, there's a normalized probability uh plot somewhere. And Grenville is a typical uh dominant zircon grain found in a lot of these samples.
3: Yeah. Well, look at that. 44% of them.
2: hmm What are you looking for, Troy? That uh
1: crustal. Yeah, this guy. Okay. So but Grenville is popping up in the rock record over here. Oh, yeah.
3: It could be there.
1: So it, it, it yeah. uh,
3: easily could be there.
1: Easily could be popping up through the, in the Anadarko Basin. It could have the the Picarus and Grenville sure. basement rocks.
3: Even possibly some Yavapai. Man. Well, if you look at his Zircon plot, he's got a whole bunch of them there.
1: Sure. Yeah.
3: He's got them all there. So there's a complex basement underneath that thing is the way I would interpret it in terms of age groups. Yeah. But it's dominated by the... Yeah. Yeah, dominated by the Picarus. Or no, the Grenville. By Grenville,
1: yeah. Second is Picarus.
3: Yeah, let's look at that again.
1: Picarus. Well, no, second's the... um,
3: No, Picarus would be to the uh, right of that. Yeah, this guy. Right, yeah, yeah, that's the Picarus, and so and you have that as what M for itself?
1: No, 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 for uh, for
3: mid con. Yeah,
2: midcon Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: ten percent Appalachian, sixteen percent midcon, forty four percent Greenville.
3: See now, in this in our model, the the youngest zircons are getting close to the age of the emplacement. Correct. And um, would be the age of the silica mud bounds and the age of the oil emplacement and the calcium carbonate cement emplacements and all of that. So that is your would be your oil related event. Okay. So that's over on that thing at the far left
2: okay
0: yeah what's, yeah
1: yeah it's some, uh, that is the age of, of missourian isn't it some kind of 300 it's, a, to,
0: it's around 105 ish
1: huh no be right,
3: about, sorry
0: not 105
2: 305 yeah, sorry yeah 305 it, ish <laughs> yeah You're right, like, huh?
3: right. <laughs> <laughs> he's only been away from his master's thesis for a few months
2: <laughs> yeah
0: Man, the trip in Mexico really got me. So. Oh man, I'm too <laughs> much tequila. I'm <laughs> looking forward yeah, yeah.
1: To, to that.
0: Left story. reality for a little while. Ah, that's right. Got to
1: sometimes. Um, yes, yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's dive into that. Let's dive into the zircon. You know, actual ages that you are seeing in your data.
3: Yeah, he had a 305. I think was his youngest one. You, you look for the if you, run, you want to look for the age of the hydrothermal event. You'd look at the youngest zircon, and that would be the at the roughly the age of the so called sedimentary event as well. So they're they're both the
0: same.
2: Four thirteen. Yeah. These
0: obviously aren't in their neurons as the spot locations, so
3: well that's the- that's another crucial point as to where those spot locations were in the zircons.
0: Yeah. We didn't. I mentioned it last time, but we didn't. I didn't take any uh, core ages or rim ages. Yeah, <clears throat>
3: they that and <laughs> that's precisely where I would have gone. Number one, I'd do what you're doing, <laughs> and number two, I'd want to be looking at those rim ages.
0: Well, yeah, I'd like. I'd like to, you know, There's do new, some rim core mm-hmm. pairs and compare them and see what's going on. That would be oh, interesting,
1: man. For sure, for sure, because you got. You got the old ages nailed. You know, the core of the zircons are all, you know, giving you a, a heck of an age. You, there are some that the cores are, are as young as 350, 342. Yeah. Well, you
3: had one down at, at 305, I thought. If you keep going. i not 305
0: yet. 536. It was only like one of
2: them.
1: You remember 305,
2: Dylan? Uh.
0: I can't remember what the youngest one. I didn't think it was 05.
3: You don't know every Zircon age that's on here. What's the matter with
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I should. I should by now look at it long enough. And that's the end of it. Yeah, Yeah. you're Uh, sick of looking
1: at three fifty I think is the the youngest I saw. Maybe three forty.
3: Yeah, we're going pretty fast around Troy's bike track. (laughs) he's a fast driver oh
2: yeah dang yeah 353 353.
3: maybe that's it I
0: think it might be I think that is it I I know uh, I think in my abstract I said the youngest and the oldest one and probably in the paper somewhere but what was your oldest one? that's probably it I can't remember. Stan, you're putting me on the spot now. I can't remember. Hey. Jump to the abstract. <laughs> Is your abstract in? Don't no yeah. I'll, I'll still get it. it up it's up here. there somewhere.
1: Uh,
0: now watch. Watch. I probably didn't put it in there. You just passed it. That was
2: it.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah
3: he's just driving that bike.
2: Abstract. Scroll down. Just a touch. Uh, no, I
0: didn't. I, I don't think I mentioned. I just go over the percentages. Ah. Uh, oh. Oh. Ah. What? No. 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 Oh, 290.
3: Oh. Where do you get that two ninety?
1: Well, he's just calling out late Mississippi. That, late. That's the
3: number
2: of grains.
3: Well, isn't that um, the isn't that the range? Two ninety to five hundred.
0: Oh, 290. That's yeah. That's. It's gotta be what a, I was naming the age of the Appalachian synorogenies. Yeah, oh. I was going with for those. Okay. <laughs> if you want me to pull up uh, the data, I have it. In, uh don't worry about it. I have it in order.
2: Well you do. Yeah. Yeah, share. I have
0: a I have a you want me to do that?
2: Yeah. Share your screen.
1: Right and uh let's see, youngest to oldest, real quick. Okay. And then um we'll dive into yeah, Zircon's, you know, the core, what we're getting there, and then this idea that you've got these hydrothermal events that are overprinting. These zircons and uh and could provide significant windows of opportunity for more interpretation
3: now did you select the core uh where they were going to put their uh laser ablation spots correct yes you picked them and yes. then they just burn the
0: holes yes okay
2: you you uh
0: so yeah I, we did it remotely so we didn't actually go to arizona uh wish wish i could have but it was gonna be like a trip for just being in the lab one day. Mm-hmm. So we just and they have they had it set up. You know, we talked about this the first time. They're very good at what they do, and they they have everything set up where you can do it all uh, virtually.
3: Oh yeah, okay. it's it's a sausage
1: <clears throat> factory.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it looks like that three fifty three was the youngest.
1: Okay. <laughs> and the oldest.
2: The only let's guess. Let's guess. Hold
1: on before we see it. Ah, it's too late. I couldn't help myself. 1780. Oh, no, heck no, that's 2862. Really? 2862. 2862. Okay. That surprise you, Stan? No. Oh,
3: yet to be surprised. That's pretty well uh, into the art. Highlighted
0: spots in here are the uh, where I placed the hafnium analyses oh yeah what was the idea that
1: within the groups the hafnium again what was the uh the concept behind that why did you do some with hafnium
0: so the concept behind that is you know you have these uranium lead dates and they can be kind of conspicuous um so if you have like an overlapping let me get if you have an overlapping uh uranium lead age and you're trying to tease out exactly where it comes from so say you have Your this zircon could be originating from the paragoned one terrains. Well, those, you know, take place uh, on the southern Laurentian margin, the uh, southeast Laurentian margin, and northeast Laurentian margin. So, where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. And that kind of the hafnium isotopes uh, give you a signature that you can compare to other data and try to tease those things out further. Mm -hmm. So, that's the idea of where I was going with that. And for this specific project and most detrital zircon uh, geochronology projects, they're typically, you know, trying to analyze the 290 to 800 million year old zircons because those, those grains could potentially come from, uh, um, you know, multiple different uh, source areas. So that's the idea.
1: Pull up some of the uh, zircons that you actually have the crosshairs, like where you picked, you know, get the age on this zircon because the next thing we're going to pull up is uh is how you'd see okay. that and then where the rings are in uh in another study and then we'll do the we'll record the intro
2: to the show and be be done oh i don't know where those are at.
0: I know I have some, I don't know what I did with them here. Let me go back real quick. No worries. There we go. Here's something. Well, back. the other
3: thing I want to look at is the cathode luminescence. You did a little
1: bit of that. Yes. That's what he's pulling up. Yeah.
3: Not exactly. You no, asked was... him where the holes were drilled. Oh, here we
1: go. This it. is it. Oh, okay, Stan. So I wasn't asking for it, but there it is, right? Yeah. But okay. It's, it's okay. Now I just want to make sure. a different set of words ah, to describe that. Okay. I got you. <laughs> now that we're on the same well, page,
0: same page I'll, I'll with different words. Up. So this is this was a figure that I used in my actual thesis. Yeah, to this kind is of, pretty you know, important. what we were doing. Yeah. That's
3: really
1: important.
0: So, so I, backscatter on the left and cathode luminescence on the right. Okay.
1: What does that mean exactly? You got just plain light coming through on the left and then something else happened on the right?
0: I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Stan. Well, what
3: luminescence uh, does is the, uh, and again, I'm not totally sure either, but somewhat from blind leading the Brian, but I have some basic (laughs) understanding. Is uh, the uranium component will luminesce. (laughs)
2: That's and the it w- it bright- will light yes. up whiter. Okay.
3: And the darker material is more uranium poor, commonly thorium rich.
1: But on the left side without luminescence.
3: Um Yeah, the um what what is that? That's is that a plain light shot
0: on the left? Uh I think so. I think this is a this is not
1: called it backscatter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. well yeah and you can have reversed or normal i think this is normal
1: so zircons all light up in black anything non-zircon lights up with with gray
3: yeah Correct. that's the idea
1: and then you hit it with luminescence and you can start seeing the rims the it's internal the
3: zoning in the zircon grains themselves yeah
1: zoom into that luminescence stuff that's cool
0: yeah i, I really like these are cool Wow. so yeah you see all these donations in here it's like an onion almost wow yeah and so if i could find where i had you know the one i, I did take a picture of when i was actually picking and had some of the crosshairs on them uh just to you know show how that went how that worked but i would obviously you know there's a crosshair maybe like right there
1: right so well you and can that's see I'd be yeah. picking these. that's his mouse so you yeah no
3: there is a crosshair right at that where that arrowhead it's is.
1: his ma- it's his mouse oh so the (laughs) the core the core of the zircon bang you're making sure you're getting clean core it it either did it always have a nice uranium uh rim like that on the samples that you picked
0: no most didn't Uh, yeah not not, most most didn't i tried you know yeah that was my goal but as you can see some of these are just you, you know you can't really do that so i would I probably, you know, say if I pick this one, I mean, there's yeah, no really can... donation in there that I can see too much. Maybe something right there. Yeah. That's Maybe it's cool just darker. There.
1: So sc- slowly scroll through this image and let's try to find like the coolest example of these zones and these multiple rim. There's another
3: really good one to this. Yeah. Come on down and then over to your right.
1: This one or this one? That guy that's one so that's one solid core with one solid rim around it I'm wondering if there's like another you know it's got like a couple of rims couple of
3: well there's another one over there continue to the going down
2: scroll down scroll down you,
3: you'll run into it right there
1: ah, so you kind of got a light center then a dark ring and then a light ring
3: yeah now you unfortunately yeah. you didn't have these guys can do it uh they can do thorium analyses but you just did uranium lead to get the isotope data but uh yeah the, the thorium is what's important here in the sense of trying to if you look at the thorium concentration that's in the uh white colored stuff it's a lot lower than the uranium so typically Okay. So, and when the thorium or the uh, uranium thorium ratios get above ten, that means that it's potentially seeing some kind of hydrothermal effect.
1: Whoa! When okay. your uranium thorium ratio, when you get ten to one uranium to thorium, and
3: sometimes it can go up to a hundred to one or whatever. In the greater
1: time. than ten. Greater than 10 is a hydrothermal indicator?
3: Yeah, because when you have a fluid component and you get a partitioning, like we've been talking about in the magma metal series and the fluids are leaving and blah, blah, blah. If there's some zircon around, what happens is that the uranium acts incompatibly and it wants to distribute to the hydrothermal fluid. So if there's any late zircon, it's growing. still growing and it's typically late magmatic. Okay. uh it'll start incorporating that uranium that's just starting to leave with the hydrothermal story
1: so would you argue that some of that three fifty to four hundred million year old zircons that he's got in the cores was that that's indicating that there were still magmatic temperatures in the cottage grove like right there well
3: they would say in to simplify that they would say that those zircons came from a magmatic source that was of that age, the 400-ish.
1: But if there's a hydrothermal event at that age, and it's...
3: That could obscure it. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking around for a magmatic story at 350, let's say, there isn't much of one.
1: What about at 300?
3: Not there either. Wow.
1: So 400? (laughs) <laughs>
3: 450 You're <laughs> 450 into the acadian and there's a big periluminous event at that you might and, and you might have some zircons coming from the um flat subduction event at about three 350 i think Yeah, right mid pen, whatever
1: that age is wow well, that's interesting so okay so is that the you think that's the best one we have an example of if you take a an inner core shot with an outer rim and try to age date that thing.
3: I would on that one, yeah. Yeah,
0: it looks good. like you, you might have enough room out yeah, here. Right there. You you really need a, a, a batter rim would be would be best. That way the laser has enough diameter.
3: Yeah, it's a pretty big blast hole to put it puts in.
1: So the uh, so zircon is ZR or SiO2 or something like that? What's a zircon? I think
3: so. ZRSiO4. Yeah, I, I think it's SiO4.
1: That's right. Z- ZRSiO4. The uranium that's in this is just pure uranium element? It's like a... It's It's not... It's
3: proxying for the zirconium.
1: Oh. So it's actually uranium silica oxide?
3: As is the thorium. Those are proxies. Oh,
1: so they're similar size atomically?
3: Roughly, yeah. I mean, thorium is ultimately a decay product of the uranium. It can be.
2: Hmm. Wow. Oh, that's pretty
1: cool. Okay. Um, and, right.
3: and hafnium will go there, too. I mean, they, they didn't have the technology to look at this until 10, 15 years ago. Wow. And now they're going nuts with it.
1: So, in yeah. In
3: the early 2000s.
1: Let's just quickly scan, look for any other types of zircons real quick that could have uh, good potential for double zapping. Well,
3: see, one of the things you got to do is go back to that other, that backscatter thing, figure out whether it is a
2: zircon. Okay, so we're looking at this guy is this guy.
1: Yep, that's definitely right zircons. Is that it? Mm-hmm.
0: Analoging it to this guy. Right. So, right, Yeah, that looks like that looks to be a zircon, Yeah. and uh, this guy. I see too many
1: more that have good zoning. You yeah, know, that's that's a, that guy.
0: That's being called out right here. Right.
3: You know, the question <clears throat> is: Is that textural population with the rims? Is that the younger population that you're seeing in your histograms?
1: Oh, so the, the, have you taken a look at the younger aged Zircon results and gone back to the image and noticed any particular observations, like they had more rim than the older ones or anything like that?
0: I have, I haven't done that, <clears throat> but that would be, that would be interesting. I don't know if I, I'm sure that I could still go back into the software, but I'm not positive. They kind of give you a, they send you the software through a third party, whoever runs the software, and then you kind of have a short amount of time
2: to to do the analysis. Right. But yeah, I I looked over this and very interesting.
0: I would have liked to do some, some of this.
1: Oh man.
3: Well, then you would have to run away and hide (laughs) somewhere because they (laughs) would never come back. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because they wouldn't let you graduate if you start seeing some of what we're talking about
0: <laughs> oh it's, it's too late for that now I'm, I'm done I'm so sure i can say whatever i want to say exactly
3: yeah. so you I'm can done. you can have <laughs> conversations with rebels like you're talking to right now <laughs> <laughs>
1: this one's for the mavericks man
3: <laughs> speaking of which that's a new that movie's supposed to really be good
1: Uh oh i don't know i'm not buying it i'm not buying it it's a bunch of hype
0: some of those you are and not are more going to go watch that zircons they're funky
1: yeah some of these uh zircon textures are
0: wild right like that d right there dude that's pretty that's pretty yeah that's pretty that nuts.
3: modeled uh texture and yeah you have a little bit of that in some <laughs> of your zircons but not much what that is is metamictization. okay where the original zircon is hydrothermally destroyed okay
1: advanced hydrothermal metamorphic complete metametization of cores exhibiting strong chaotic modeled modeled yeah texture texture that with intermediate ages and overgrown rims reflects incipient melting so so that when this is in the so that was a solid core like that yeah
3: it was a classic like he's got and then it's been subjected to hydrous metamorphism first metamorphically and then under and then it starts to meld into one of these hydrous periluminous plutons whoa so you, you've got the whole sequence from the classic detrital story that he was looking at uh but it looks what his data looks like because you he, he didn't actually melt those rocks. <laughs> you, <didn't, laughs> you need to get up into the mid-amphibolite isograd. Uh, but what you did do is you had a detrital zircon there that got hydrothermally altered while it was possibly still growing. So like that one down. There. Let's see. Yeah, that's one twenty-two. But what you there's some really good ones where I, they they did date the rims. You can see they're they're emphasizing the cores too. But there 155 was
1: one fifty-five to fifty-five between. Yeah, these yeah. Two.
3: There you go. There's a good core rim guy. Yeah.
1: And that's not necessarily a magmatic event that's melting the rocks. No, and the
3: that's magma. that's a high, a hydrothermal alteration.
1: It's hot water. Yeah. Vaporizing. Gases. Making... Well,
3: recrystallizing is associated with a recrystallization of the zircon. So it's just using its own mass and it's reshuffling into the, the rim stuff, which you can see is luminescent.
1: Right on. So that's the kind of stuff that, uh, yeah, we would love to see your thesis uh, followed up with. Maybe Magma Chem Research Institute can do it. <laughs> if the university's not that's interested,
3: kind of, well uh, then, yeah, then you run for cover. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, we get to do what we want here if we have the money. Yeah. We can do what we want.
3: All we can do is blow hot air right
2: now.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> right on. Uh, so that's that's one of the yeah, that's kind of tying in. You know this this idea that uh, petroleum geologic systems are Really just, you know, basic geologic systems that are cooling and heating up and they have all these overprints and, and all these events that are being superimposed on the geology through time and the zircons can actually capture some they of are.
3: That. It's. This whole zircon geochronology thing has just fascinated me when, right when I was in school back in the early 70s. What do you 60s.
1: remember in the 70s? What were the professors telling you about zircons? What were, so, like, what, what were they doing with them?
3: Well, see, I, I went to school at the University of Arizona, and, and there's a potassium argon lab there, and they also <clears> do <made throat> rubidium strontium. And there's all this sort of uh, geochronological chauvinism going on, where my lab's better than your lab. In fact, you still have <laughs> it in most chemical labs. And my lab's better than your lab. Uh huh. And but in particular, they had a real pissing match going with this guy between the U of A and Lee Silver, and and they did not do uranium lead dating at the U of A. Uh, which was run by Paul Damon. He, he's the guy that kind of invented a lot of the potassium argon story. Wow! And these guys, both of them, came out of the um, Oppenheimer atomic bomb lab stuff because that's where all this stuff really started. And then they spun it off into academic applications.
1: Holy cow. Okay. <laughs> so,
3: but anyway, so... Uh, there was this big pissing match going on and I was just watching it as a little whippersnipper undergraduate and later as a graduate student. And I d you know, and I looked, you know, and when I was doing all my age date stuff for the uh flapping slab paper, uh you know, I s- started to look at it all and it it looked like the uranium lead stuff just made more sense. Mm-hmm. But at that time the technology was looking at whole grain zircon stuff they weren't doing any of this spot analysis laser ablation stuff okay
0: like dissolving the entire zircon that's correct seeing what it gave them
3: yeah then sometime they would oblate the zircon in other words they would grind out the outer edge to try to get a because they they kind of had figured out that if you can grind get rid of the outer edge of these things You get a better age that reflects the actual so called what they were interested in was the crystallization ages. Okay. Okay. Of the original Pluton.
1: Wow. That's pretty cool. Pretty important back then.
3: Yeah. And it was considered a better age than any other. It was the most bulletproof geochronologic technique out there after they had all their arguments and thrashed it all out. It blew rubidium, strontium away. And they got quite overly uh, excited about some of the arguments. <laughs> they got quite juvenile, <laughs> frankly. And, uh, but the um, uranium leads then went, so Lee Silver, perf- for he's the first uranium lead age data out there. He perfected the technique. Wow, the oh. Lee, Lee Silver. For the whole grain, yeah, the Lee Silver. And he became president of GSA. And of course I had a run in with him on my paper and blah, blah, blah. but uh yeah i've been through a few wars but uh (laughs) but he's a was a very respected uh whole what we call whole grain uranium lead age data now now they're doing these kinds of things where they're and these are the younger kids that have come down and one of them who also went to caltech and and was uh but he worked for Jason Salibi who was one of the younger age daters that came in but he knew the uranium lead story uh also and at that time Lee Silver was starting to recede so um uh, learned his trade from Jason Salibi uh, using Alaskan case histories and uh and then developed and then came back to the University of Arizona and he's he's become world famous running this you know the Go do anything in zircon geochronology without talking to Mister Garrels.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that out too. <laughs> <laughs> right on.
3: If he gives a thumbs up, you're you're a superhero, and if not, you better go down and find another occupation.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but uh, he he is he's the, he's uh, part of it is. He comes from the Caltech culture, and they take their science
1: overly seriously, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. That, the okay. discipline or whatever just starts getting too too much. Yeah. Huh. And Zircon, what's the oldest Zircon ever found?
3: 4.3 to 4.4, 4, somewhere in there. It's, it's only 100 million years, 150 million years. Older than, or younger than the so-called age of the planet, which is four point five five.
0: And was the, that that? Uh, I think we talked about that last time a little bit. The, is that the was that Australian
2: or
3: Jack Hills? Yeah. Okay. What's the idea? And it's a detrital zircon. It's not a you know wasn't taken from a rock, a, a, an igneous plutonic rock. Although its geochemistry and all that indicates that it was coming from an igneous differentiated granite system zircon that had at gone four, to tridal
1: at 4.4 4.
3: Four, yeah roughly and that's only a hundred million years younger than this or so-called accretion age of the planet and say it again the geochemistry
1: suggested that it came from what kind of rock a granite which would
3: which means that you had to have differentiation in the crust
1: tectonics
3: yeah as in plate tectonics, probably early plate tectonics
1: started in Australia.
3: Well, in that particular zircon, but but there's probably other ones out there. There was probably microcontinents nuclei that were nucleating all, all around the planet, but they were just a little bigger than this room. <laughs> they were bigger. They were bigger <laughs> about the size of Santa Cruz County or something like that.
1: Arizona, <laughs> crushing on each other and subducting and Yeah. Doing its little micro tectonic scale stuff.
3: Yeah. And eventually they assemble into these bigger and and bigger continents over geologic time. That's the idea. Wow. But there's a lot of other thought processes out there as to how the planet evolved. And I've always been a plate tectonic guy, but there were a lot of people that still are.
1: Well, I think, you know. I don't
3: think that plate tectonics didn't start until three billion or so. Wow.
1: That's that's interesting debate there. Uh well yeah, the we other one is is debate. you know how did it how did it cool where did all the water come from right how did it cool itself and 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 uh and start all these processes that we know today. <clears throat> you know that that's interesting concept too. Well you
3: have to go back to the the other big pair to the granite story is to go to the other end of the spectrum which is the ultramafic story which is the serpentinite story and the oldest one that they've found so far are those guys is 3.8 billion and that's a very wet rock so you have to hydrate the hell out of something which means you had to have an ocean around wow to make that rock
1: yeah so water water was at the crust early on
3: yeah you had ocean crustal domains very early in earth history maybe all the way back to the core formation event is what my guess would be
1: so at four so for some reason about 4.5 right so how do you get from a, the oldest known material it's been aged at 4.4 4 to the planet being 4.55 5. how do they get there why why do they add 150 million years well they don't it's not totally
3: arbitrarily they're, they're Basically, the argument is that we're just a big meteorite.
1: Right. I can go with that.
3: Uh, and we're a zoned meteorite. In other words, we have a core and we have a mantle around it. And um, so they've dated some stuff. They've dated meteorites. Hmm. And they get 4.55 consistently. I got you. My bad. And they got it. There's several approaches. Uh, They've done it by uranium lead. They've done it by rhenium osmium. Oh, cool. Done a little fudging along the way. For example, again, because of the bulletproof uranium lead technique, they just take that as gospel. And that was the 4.55. And then they got rhenium osmium and they got slightly younger ages. Hmm. So then what they but they knew that the age constants for rhenium osmium weren't quite all that
2: constrained blocked
3: yet. So they adjusted them to the uranium lead age. And then they started dating other rocks around and they found that though that the revised constants gave much better ages than the, what they were trying to get in the lab, because they they have problems trying to measure the rhenium and osmium as a will of the wisp. Hmm to analyze and they did, i think now they've got the really good technologies where they can get accurate uranium lead concentrations and that's the problem with trying to get an accurate decay constant is that good good analytical data
1: so 4.4 4 billion the planet has a crust and an ocean
3: that's a good guess. Yeah,
1: it's not just a ball of
3: magma rolling around. <laughs> it's not a big marble. <laughs> or space. Yeah, the moons already happened. Moons happened.
1: It's devolatizing and creating all those crazy bubbles. Yeah, that I don't think it's craters. a bunch
3: of uh, the other one that's you'll keep hearing about is comets slamming in. There might have been a little of that, but basically we evolved our own water.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, it was here.
3: It's on the it's part of the gravitational unmixing of the different earth layers and all that stuff. So, and, and the, other, the other constraint I have, I go back to about 4 billion. Whereas if I look at my magma metal series ore deposit magma chemistry correlations, I can get as old as about 4 billion hmm. with that. So... I'm saying that those sources were locked into the planet by about that.
1: Right. So not too much of an imagination to get to 4.4. No. With this zircon that clear, clearly shows geochemistry from a granite. That's the storyline. So yeah. Water has has differentiated itself and locked into the <clears throat> to its place on our planet. The water layer of our planet is is yeah. already there. Yeah,
3: we're making serpentinites by 3.8, and I suspect if we keep looking around, we'll find some older ones.
1: Man, that's cool. Pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> your thesis just got us diving cool. into uh, the beginning of time, man.
0: <laughs> know, deep, deep time.
1: that has been
3: popularized by Hazen.
1: And, right. Any uh, Any questions, any concerns before we roll the intro real quick? Not that I can think of. Okay, let's do this.
3: Well, I just say, you know, you've got more science to do. Go for those rims. Yeah. Because one of the things about Gerald's is he's not into hydrothermal zircons. He doesn't really... Other people have pioneered that part of the zircon story. And there's some really neat papers on that where you can literally micro date these zircons and tell exactly when the magma hydrolyzed there's one in the l 10 anti-porphyry copper deposits it's just fascinating the way they did that mm. that'd
0: be cool to look at
1: yeah what were you gonna say dylan
2: uh
0: i was gonna say i need an outlet so you guys ready to do it <laughs> 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 that's good we like more a lot that's right
1: that's right. Right on man. Well, uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed it and I uh, wish you the best of luck man. Don't uh, don't hesitate to uh to use me for reference if you think it'll help. Uh I'll happily answer phone calls for people that are interested in hiring you and uh and now that I'm more familiar with your thesis and the type of detail that went into that, you obviously are uh are capable of taking on any job in that's available in the oil and gas industry right now. Entry level stuff, dude. Like you're you're ready for that. And uh and I'm rooting for you.
3: What, Thanks, would it, man, what, would it, it. what would it take to get some core rim analyses on those zirks that you've got there?
0: I could look into it, but, uh, uh, thankfully I didn't have to handle any of, you know, the, the payment side or anything like that, but I'm not sure how much any of it would cost. And that would be my main thing, but I could definitely inquire about it and see what yeah, Mr.
3: If we had the money we would pay for it.
1: But. <laughs> yeah. Depending on how expensive that yeah, kind of thing is, sure. um, that would be cool. That would be a, a sweet little follow-up from your work that, uh, that Magma Chem can kind of just add a little bit more, do, you know, info on. And, and, uh, if you're cool with that, obviously we would be interested. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Look that up and see if it's not too much trouble. Look how much it would, it would cost to do some of that.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. I'll shoot them, shoot them an email and see what they say.
1: Right on. Definitely do that. Keep on rocking
0: on, man. For sure. It's a pleasure.
2: Good seeing you guys. Good talking with you. Thanks for uh, coming back for round two. (laughs) Thank you, man. Thank you.